The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5 tonight. As a matter of fact, we're going to finish up the chapter. And if you look at the screen, the, uh, the title of tonight's Bible study is Trust, Trust Admit at amid tragedy, trust amid tragedy, or while in tragedy. Um, uh, But I wanted to remind you that this Sunday night, uh, here uh, at the church, we're going to have a special uh, prophecy update. Uh, We're going to, Pastor Daniel's going to uh, remind, well, actually uh, visit with, uh, interview uh, two visiting rabbis from Israel. And we're talking about developments with the, the Red Heifer Project, and so I'd encourage you uh, to come and join us, or if you can't, uh, make sure you can, you can watch us online. Uh, it would be, be good to have you. Um, you know, tonight, uh, uh, as, as, we get, as we get into this passage, or before we do, I'd like for you to join me in a word of prayer. So, Father, this is when many of us are contemplating, thinking about um, the day of Thanksgiving coming next week. I know that in, in, in some ways, Lord, it can be a time that uh, maybe becomes a little more busy in preparation or traveling. Uh, but I pray, Lord, that you would help us even from this evening until next Thursday, Lord, begin to, to notch out time to spend with you and to be thankful for the many, many blessings that you bestowed upon us. I know. Personally, Lord, I think about my wife and my children, my grandchildren, uh, my immediate family, sons-in-laws. I think about how you blessed us this year with employment and with health, um, how you have allowed us, as I look back over the year, Lord, you've allowed us to gather together even though um, some of us live in a different state. Uh, I thank you for this church, Maranatha Chapel, and... and, um, the fellowship that I have here with brothers and sisters in Christ, how, uh, how I can reflect not only on this year but past years, uh, having gone through um, really, really good times and some challenging seasons as well. And yet, Lord, I'm thankful for your faithfulness. I thank you for their commitment to you. And so tonight, Lord, we, we, look, at, we look at a story, really it's two stories, and how they meet at you, Jesus, this man and this woman meet at you, and I pray that you would remind us regarding especially our church family, Lord, how we meet at you, how we uh, know one another and, and engage with one another because we know Jesus. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, there's a lot going on. I, um, I know that we had the elections about a, a week ago. And regardless of who wins, I, I wish there was an equal amount of commitment to going and removing their signs up from various places in the community. Um, that's kind of a, uh, a pet concern of mine. I'd like to do it for them, but I'm sure I'd get arrested or disciplined in some way. Well, tonight in our Bible study, again in Mark chapter 5, Jesus And his disciples, his followers, that would be the immediate 12 apostles as well as others, they returned to the the fishing village that we know as Capernaum. This was 
Jesus' home base for the three years that he ministered. It was also likely the home of Peter and his brother Andrew and a number of the other disciples. And so after an overnight trip to the Decapolis, if you were here last week, remember we identified that as a region where there were 10 Greek cities that were established during the time of Alexander the Great. They would have received a warm welcome home. I would imagine next week there will be people waiting down at the airport for a family member to, you know, to get in from their flight. And, and you, sometimes you can see them coming your direction. If you're allowed, you go out and you embrace them, you greet them, and you help them go gather their, their luggage and, and head home. And disciples would have been returning home, home-filled advantage, home cooking. You'll remember from last week that the people of the Decapolis pretty much invited Jesus to leave. Uh, they didn't want him around. He had uh, his, his ministry to a, a man in particular who was uh, tormented by demons had, had caused their, their livelihood to be affected. And yet, when the man came to Jesus, having been returned to his right state, his request was that he would be able to go with Jesus, to follow Jesus. And Jesus asked him, told him, no, you stay here and you tell anybody that you can of what the Lord has done for you. Capernaum is all things familiar. You know, from time to time I go back to Vista and I remember where I was raised. Uh, I'm all, I always marvel a little bit at how things change. I also marvel on how things don't look quite as large as they did when I was younger and then uh, more recently had opportunity, and I will return to Fallbrook, that's where I raised my family this weekend, is have opportunity to go there and teach at a local church, but to see how things change there as well. So the disciples are coming home. Jesus is coming home. All things familiar, including the, the many crowds, the many people, the crowds that are vying for his attention, vying for his personal attention. Mark sifts sifts the moment. I mean, he gathers the information, but then he begins to sift the moment of Jesus returning, allowing two stories, the two stories we're going to look at tonight, really one story, two stories together, allowing them to rise to the surface, to come to our attention. I want you to think of two situations woven together by the faith of a father whose daughter is ill and the tenacity of a woman who she herself is sick. The dad's name is Jairus. His name means whom God enlightens. It's a good name. But we don't know the name of the woman. Her name escapes us. And sometimes within the scriptures when somebody isn't identified, I wonder if it's to allow the readers to be able to identify with her, to kind of step into her story, step into her shoes. There are similarities in their stories, but there's also contrast. Think about this. First century Israel was patriarchal. It was dominated by men. Men had, we might say today, they had leverage. They had a degree of power. They could use the power to help others, and many did. Or they could choose not to help others with their power. The woman, as we already know, she's sick, but her suffering is chronic. There's, there's something to, be, to not feel well, right? To 
have an illness. But, but some of you in this room and some of you who are watching online, I apologize for not acknowledging you sooner, those Maranatha online, but some of you know what it's like to be sick and to not feel well for a very, very long time. That's the way it is for this woman. It's affected her on so many levels. I want you to think an illness that was also unfortunately paired with, married to, a religious stigma. So not only did she not feel well, when people who knew her saw her, they thought in their minds that she had done something that caused God to judge her. Now, they were wrong, but if dealing with the disease or the illness wasn't bad enough, to have others question who you, your relationship with God, well, that made it worse. The scriptures required that she be declared unclean. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But she's lost everything due to her condition. Bleeding separated her from her family and friends. Um, there, there are times that I watch women shift gears when their children step into the room. It's like you're dealing with the same person, the same personality, the same individual, but they shift gears. The tone of their voice changes. And then when grandchildren step into the room, it's, it's, it's like some people just, especially women, they just come alive. Their mothering instinct, their love, their opinion on certain things, I won't go any further than that, seems to come to the surface. But she's lost her family, and she's lost her friends, because, again, because of her illness. Anything she came in contact with would have been considered defiled, again, unclean. She wasn't permitted to enter into a home. Stop and think about that. She wasn't entered, able, allowed to enter into her home, yet anybody else's home. She wasn't allowed to enter into the synagogue that she grew up in within her community, the, the social center, the religious center, to speak to her rabbi or the elders in her community that had been taken away from her. And she would never have been allowed to go to Jerusalem and to worship. That is the condition, that is the situation with this woman. For her, worship was a distant memory, as was human touch. Now, the man, he too is in dire straits, but it looks a little different. You see, when Jairus comes to Jesus, his ask isn't for himself. It's for his daughter. I have, um, I have two daughters. Um, I, I see them now as adults in their 40s. I see them as, as mothers and wives themselves. Um, but there's never a moment that they're in my presence that I don't see them as my little girls. I would have thought that when they reached a certain age that my thoughts in the middle of the night or my concerns for them as they went off to, to college or, or, or they got married or they set up their home, that I would have at some point in time you know, stopped being concerned about them the way I was when they were younger, but that's not the case. And another interesting idea is that for their children, my grandchildren, I have that same concern. Jairus' daughter is sick. She's near death. It's easy to feel his desperation. 
Mark weaves a wrinkle into the two stories, a small detail when compared to the need, and that is that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. Can, can you imagine that? Having been raised in his home, him coming home and being greeted by her, her laughter and, 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 and the ritual that there are in our homes when, when, when there are children, when there are, are young people. It, it it's, brings vitality, it brings life, but she's sick. The woman, too, knew those same 12 years, but from a different perspective. For over a decade earlier, she had been diagnosed by a priest. From that point forward, she watched her life slip away in the same way that Jairus had watched the life of his daughter over the previous days slip away as well. A man and a woman in need reminds us of Eden's first couple standing before God in great need because they had sinned. And God speaks to them, well, not exactly to them, but within their hearing, this promise. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God speaking to the serpent says, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring, some of your Bibles will say seed, and her offspring, capital S, seed. Listen to these words. This is the promise. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Is that Adam and Eve were standing there with the full weight of their actions, the consequences of what they had done upon them, in a sense feeling at great loss. God speaks the promise of one who would come and deliver the death blow to the enemy. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Coming back to our story, we read Jairus and the woman's story from a distance. We do. We're separated from the two of them in so many ways. We're separated by a couple of thousand years. We're separated by culture and language. Their cultural moment is very different than ours. But in some ways, we can identify because, because we love others. We care about others. And as I said initially, some of us, some of you that are here, have experienced an illness that has been with you a very, very long time. It seems as though some things are common to the human experience. They move towards Jesus having heard of his willingness to show compassion to those who suffer. We move towards Jesus. We move towards Jesus. Because in all honesty, he alone can save us from our sins. On the screen, you'll see the words, Jesus is irresistible to broken people. Jesus is irresistible when, when we realize that in this world and of ourselves, there is no hope. He is irresistible. There's no way we cannot move in his direction. When we've worked through all of our options and attempted to solve the issue on our own, we come to the conclusion that I have come to the end of myself, which is not the worst place to be. Because when we look up, from our little scratchings or our little Googlings. And when we look up from, from speaking to this expert and that expert and we don't have the answer, it is exactly the moment 
that Jesus becomes irresistible to you and to me. So we begin, again, this remains Jesus' Galilean ministry. And we see the plea of faith. In verse 21, it says, And when Jesus had crossed again, that is to return in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell on his feet, at his feet. That is, it, Jairus fell at Jesus' feet. And, at, and as he's on the ground before Jesus, as his face is in the, on, in the ground, on the ground before Jesus, he implores him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on him, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Jesus went with him. He responded to him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged or pressed in about him. Memory from last week serves us well when we remember that as Jesus stepped out of the boat, there again in the the area of the Decapolis, that a man came towards him. That a man came towards him and he too placed himself at the feet of Jesus. But it was a different situation. The man we we learned from last week, was, was controlled, was influenced by legion. And legion does so in subjection to God incarnate. That is what Mark wants us to know, that evil comes and subjects itself at the feet of Jesus. But our story is different. Jairus does so, broken by his daughter's condition. He is a ruler, Mark tells us, of the local synagogue a respected leader in the community. The potential loss of his daughter humbles him. He doesn't care who's present in the scene. He doesn't care what people see about him or think about him or say about him. He is at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus has become irresistible to him because his heart is breaking. He understands the weightiness of his daughter's illness. As a matter of fact, in verse 23, he says to Jesus, my little daughter is at the point of death. You have these conversations in hospital rooms. You're, you're, you're called to the hospital. You, you make your way in through the entrance. You ask, where's, where's the room? And you have your Bible and your anointing oil. The days in which we live, you, you have a mask on and you go over to the elevator, you push, you push the button, you select the floor. And even, as you, even though you've done this many, many times as a pastor, you're going to visit somebody, some whom you know by name. You'll, you'll know when you see them uh, in their hospital bed with all these gadgets hooked up to them, they're going to smile. They're, they're going to smile because they recognize you. And others, they have no idea who you are. As a matter of fact, you better identify yourself when you come in or they're going to throw something at you. And you make your way over to the bed, and you begin to talk to them. And I think some pastors are better at this than others. You you maybe tell a little joke, and and again, you're desiring to to break the the seriousness of the situation. And you leave the hospital room. The family gathers with you in the hall. And even though the, the best of the medical world is made available, they begin to communicate to you. This is the diagnosis. This is what they're telling us to expect. Over the last couple of days, Pastor, our emotions have gone high 
and they've gone low and we're worn out and our options are running out and we don't know what to do, will you pray? Well, certainly, that's why we came. Jairus has come to the place where it's time to pray. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know if if everything is fine. You enter into Thanksgiving with plenty to be thankful for. If that's the case, that's awesome. But maybe you're here tonight, and it's time for Jesus to become irresistible to you because you've sifted through the options. You've, You've worked the programs. You've tried the treatments. And you're standing in the hall in a hospital. And even though there are people buzzing around you, you can't hear them or see them. And you, like Jairus, are humbled before Jesus. How do you let your child go? How do you win? I remember two daughters, right? I remember being in construction with these you know, with these physical strength and, and stepping, stepping into the delivery room and the nurse wrapping up my oldest daughter, Linda. I thought she looked more like a burrito than anything else. They wrapped that blanket so tight. I was a little concerned. And, and, and they handed her to me. I'm, I'm in my mid-twenties, and they hand her to me. And I, I look at her, and I felt weak in the knees. Like, how do you do this? How do you, how do you parent? Where's, where's the class? Where's the degree? Where's the schooling on how you care for this little one who fits, fits in your two hands? Her, her, her eyes were closed. She's wrapped up tightly. I, I bring her close, and I feel her, that she's f- so fragile. And then a day or two later, they send you home with the baby. And, and, and I don't know what to do. I mean, obviously, I want to go back to work. You know, my wife will have to figure this out. But, but what? listen, what do you do with the life of another? I tell you what you do. You hope for them. You hope for them. You dream for them. But the last thing you ever think is that you will bury them. The last thing that could enter into your mind is that you would ever prepare the arrangements for their funeral, you anticipate, you hope, that everyone will prepare yours. And I know that some of you may think, well, Danny, that's a little dark, but this is what Jairus is doing. It's what he's doing right now. It's why he's at the feet of Jesus. It's why he's asking him to come to his home. It is all that he can do at this moment. Verse 24 says, And he went with him. Jesus says, yes. Jesus says, I'll come to your home. I want you to hear that. His willingness, his determination. But there's a delay in the plan. People, many, many people, says they throng about him in our passage. Luke uh, chapter 8, verse 42 says, the crowd pressed in on him. I want you to see this. Jesus moving with Jairus in the direction of Jairus' home, but people all around yelling, screaming, touching, reaching. They're all pressing in upon Jesus. Uh, literally a, a, a physical traffic jam of individuals. Jairus is making his way along, but they're pressing in on Jesus, and, and he slowed down. And Jairus knows that every minute passes 
is so important. Jesus' movement is hindered. He pushes through a suffocating crowd. On the screen, you'll read these words. God isn't in a hurry. Time serves his purpose. And waiting purifies our faith. I'm going to read that to you again. God is not in a hurry. Time serves his purpose. Waiting purifies our faith. Our next section of Scripture, verses 25 through 34, the touch of trust. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him. Notice that she comes up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, even if I, if, if I touch his, even his garments, I will be made well. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 says, If I can but touch the fringe of his garment, I will be made well. And immediately, that's Mark's word again, right? Immediately, the flow of blood dried up. The idea is that it's very, at its very source, the flow of blood dried up. And she felt, she she. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Mark introduces the woman. Again, we don't know her name, but he summarizes her story. He he presents to the readers the, the, the backstory, the framework. He wants us to know her. He wants us to know her experience, her situation. Her intention is to slip in and slip out unseen, undetected. She understands that according to Leviticus chapter 15, that by even being around people, she's breaking the law, ceremonial law, but she's breaking the law. She is, she is in her pursuit of Christ, moving against the Old Testament law. Now get this. Her bleeding is not the result of sin. The reason she's been declared by the priest unclean, unclean is not because she's done anything wrong. Please hear that tonight. She has done nothing wrong. Something has happened to her. Something has happened to her. Her body is sick. Please understand, too, that the law sought to communicate to Israel while in the wilderness that people in her condition were to be separated from others simply to stop the possibility of whatever caused her disease to not spread. It wasn't to punish her. It was to protect others from what she had encountered. Again, she has done nothing wrong. She may have done everything right, and yet this disease still came her way. And as we said, for 12 years, she suffered. Having gone from doctor to doctor, depleted her financial resources. She is anemic. I want you to understand her physical weakness because of the loss of blood. Yet she does, she does what only she can do. She hears that Jesus is in town, and she finds where he's at, And she comes up behind him, remember, as he's moving towards Jairus' house. 
And she presses into the back of the crowd, hoping not to touch him, not to have him acknowledge her, but simply to be able to touch his cloak, his outer garment. This, my friends, is faith. This is trust. I think that sometimes when we hear the great stories in the scriptures or maybe reports from the mission field, that we envision faith as being something that is very demonstrative. But I would challenge you tonight as we make our way through the story to see that you have faith. That you have faith that touches Jesus. Nobody in the church will hear of it or know of it. Nobody will write it down and, and, and spread it around, you know, through, to the world. But you have faith that touches Jesus. We all do. And our faith may not cleanse us from a disease, but it cleanses us from sin. It removes it removes the uncleanliness of sin. Again, verse 27 says she heard the reports. She heard what people were saying. She, she, heard, she heard the good news about Jesus. And one of the things she heard was regarding his character, and that is that he was good. That, that he had compassion on those who were suffering. And this is what, he, what Mark would want us to know tonight. That report, the report about Jesus. The report is that he is God in the flesh, that he is Messiah, that he's come to bring his kingdom to earth, and that he is good. And that he is not angry, as some at this time had perceived God to be. He's not angry with us. He's not distant from us, but he's drawn near to us. He doesn't close the door to eternity. He opens the door wide. And that brought her faith to the surface. Everything that man could not do for her, she saw as a possibility in Christ Jesus. It remains the same tonight. The law said, don't come in contact with others. Faith says, Jesus is the only source to be cleansed. The woman says to herself in verse 28, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. There's an interesting passage in Numbers 15 where the Lord speaks to Moses regarding the clothing of the Jews. Right? All through, all through the, the, the Levitical law and all through the instructions for them while they're in the wilderness and particularly in Numbers and then in Deuteronomy, so there, are these, there are these things that God tells Moses, it's important for the people to know. It's important for the people to do. It's important for the people not to know. It's important for the people not to do. And one of the things he says that, that God uh, says to Moses, and again, Numbers 15, verse 38 says, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels, to make these tassels on the corners, corners multiple, plural, of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. Listen why. First part of verse 39, Numbers 15. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember the com all the commandments of the Lord and to do them. So as she presses into the crowd, possibly, this is my idea, 
Again, in her weakened state, as she presses into the crowd, his garment is flowing behind him, and she reaches out and grabs one of those blue, sky blue tassels, and she grabs onto it. It's pulled from her fingers, and immediately the source of bleeding in her body is healed. And those tassels on any other man, that t- those tassels on anybody else's clothing would have reminded them to obey the law. And here was the one who obeyed the law perfectly. And because he obeyed the law perfectly, it speaks to his deity, God in the flesh. It speaks not only to one who obeyed the law perfectly, but who was the law in the flesh. She grabs possibly at the tassel part of Jesus' outer cloak, the edge flowing behind him in the crowd, think that Jesus' perfect obedience to the law proves him to be the one who could heal her. Verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing about around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her regarding her healing, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth or the complete story. And he said to her, daughter, this is the last thing she expected to hear, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. One of the things that her story reminds us is that not everybody in that crowd that touched Jesus, and there were many, touched him in faith. But this woman, whose hope is in Jesus, did so. Verse 30 said, Jesus perceiving in him that power had gone out from him. A very interesting expression. It's only found in Mark's gospel. Perceiving in himself speaks to Jesus personally. Listen, Jesus personally feeling all the hands that were touching him, all the hands that were grabbing him, all the voices that were screaming at him for attention. He, he knew intimately her touch. And tonight he knows you intimately, your prayer request, your desire, and your hope. He knows intimately. And she was healed. Verse 32, it says, and he looked to see who had done it. Jesus refuses, refuses to allow the woman to disappear into the crowd. He searches faces. He looks closely until she moves in his direction. That is, he studies the crowd, he looks at the crowd until she moves in his direction. She steps out toward him. As we can see in the passage, she's afraid. She expects to receive correction. You were unclean, but you're here. But listen to what he says. He says, daughter. Daughter. It's a term of relationship. It's a term of a tenderness. And then Jesus lifts up her faith. He exemplifies her faith in verse 34 when he says, in the hearing of all that were there, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Being well speaks of both physical and spiritual healing. She was saved from the penalty of her sins. 
Verses 35 to 43, we have the touch of mercy. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler Jairus' house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher, the rabbi, any further? But overhearing what they said, or Jesus hearing the report, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe, or stop fearing. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. I think it's interesting that from time to time Jesus takes these three apostles or disciples with him because in the law, Deuteronomy chapter 19, testimony would be given by two or three witnesses, meaning that Jesus would have wanted us to have this story shared with us tonight. Delay sometimes means death. Minutes loom large in some situations. A report comes from home, breaks Jairus's heart, your daughter is dead. But notice with me that Jesus deflects the report with words of encouragement. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. And for some of us here tonight, it's what we need to hear. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. There were times when we lived in Fallbrook and the girls were young. Our, our master bedroom was on one side of the house. And if we were to look out our door, you would see down a long hallway, there would be those thunderstorms that would occur. Now they're infrequent. And, and so and I sleep soundly, so my wife would be the one that would tell you this story much better than I. And you would hear the loud clap of thunder and lightning would, you know, would, would light up the sky around us. It was amazing. Also caused little girls to jump out of their breads and run down towards the hallway towards ours. ours. And their mom would, you know, grab them in her arms and they would say, yeah, there was this loud noise. Yeah, God's moving his furniture again, you know. And the sky lit up. Yeah, that's called lightning. And Jesus tells Jairus, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Just keep believing. And for some of you who are here tonight, Jesus wants to tell you, it's going to be okay. Just keep believing. I'm here. Everything will be fine. Verse 38 says, And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. The people outside of Jairus' home were hired to mourn. That's, a, that's beyond us, but was the custom of the time. As a matter of fact, the more prominence you had in a community, the more people would be gathered outside of your home. These people are what we would call professional mourners. And Jesus uses a metaphor in addressing them when he says, the child is not dead but sleeping. Luke helps us here. In Luke chapter 8, verse 54, it says, but, ask, but taking her hand, this moves a little further, or further in the story, but taking her hand, that is the hand of the little girl, Jesus uh, saying, child, arise. And in verse 55, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once. That is, that she had certainly passed away. Almost done. The certainty of Christ is contrasted with the skepticism of the mourners. They see death's finality. Jesus brings hope to Jairus. 
In the moment, at the time, there's tension. Kind of an in-between heaven and earth reality. When we lose somebody, and we do, and we may, we grieve. But we also hope in the future resurrection. On the screen you'll see a verse from chapter from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's a familiar verse where Paul tells the Thessalonians regarding the other believers who had passed away, but we not we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who sleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Christ died, Jesus died and rose again, even even though even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We grieve, we are sad, we weep with one another, but we do so in hope. Let's go ahead and wrap up the study, verses 40. And they, that is, the mourners laughed or scorned Jesus, but he put them all outside, all outside and took the, the child's father and mother and those who were with him, the disciples, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which is Aramaic, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told, him to, told them to give her something to eat. So we're done. Jesus deals with those who were grieving and mourning outside of the home. He requires it all remain behind. As he enters into the home, they make their way into the little girl's bedroom. Don't know if you've, ever, if you've spent much time in little girl's bedrooms, but they're very interesting. The decorations that they have, and my family, it was many, many, many stuffed animals, far too many stuffed animals. There may be projects from school that were on the wall, maybe as they got older, some of the decals or stickers of their favorite bands. But you walk into a little girl's bedroom, it's different. And we're going in, there's a quilt, there's a pillow. Actually, there's about a million pillows. I don't know why they have so many pillows. I don't understand this, so many pillows. And there's a fragrance. There's, you know, maybe something smells good. Little boys' bedroom, bedrooms are, smell, but they smell in an entirely different way. Jesus enters into the intimacy of the home. Listen, listen. And he's careful. First, he protects it. You stay outside. Then he brings mom and dad, the disciples in. Remember, at the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then he walks up to the side of the bed. Likely she's been covered. He pulls down the cover and he stares at her. In the original language, it's not necessarily, again, Aramaic, it's not necessarily, little girl, I say to you, arise. It's little lamb, get up. And as I said from Luke chapter 8, it says that her spirit returned into her body. Who is this? Who is this man who steps into our lives and speaks life. Who with tenderness and care isn't abrupt, doesn't yell or scream, 
Doesn't, doesn't move from one person to the next person. No, but he stays and he pauses and he treats her, listen, with dignity and with honor and with respect. And I'll say it again, with tenderness. And my friends, the reason that this is communicated to us tonight is because this is the way he treats you. This is the way he speaks Jesus speaks to you. Sometimes within the church, it's like chastise them, correct them, tell them to do more. Look for a moment at how he treats you. My son, my daughter, get up. My son, my daughter, come and be with me. It's never do more, do more, do more. You're not doing enough. It's always be with me. On the screen, you'll see a quote from John Piper where he says, Saving faith isn't merely the one-time act of receiving Jesus. It goes on trusting him. It goes on and continues to trust in him. Both Jairus and the woman had obstacles to their faith. I believe it's to be expected in your life and my life as well. There will be obstacles. There will be skepticism, cynicism. Considering the world we live in, our faith will certainly be tried. We will continue to reach as the woman reached for Jesus' garment, and we will continue to wait as Jairus did in the dusty streets of Capernaum. And he will answer us. Do you hear that tonight? He will answer you. As you reach and as you wait, he will answer you. But here's the deal. While we reach for his garment, while we wait for him to come into our home, our faith grows and is purified and is strengthened. On the screen, you'll see uh, two words regarding our application. This week, I want you to keep on reaching. I want you to keep on reaching for Jesus through God's word and through prayer. Keep reaching. Your answer's on the way. The second word is waiting. Patiently waiting on him with his name on your lips, and the obstacles will be removed. Will you join me in a word of prayer? So, Heavenly Father, this evening, what a wonderful blending together, dovetailing together of the life of Jairus and, and his ill daughter, as well as the life of this woman. again, in a tragic situation. Reminding us, Lord, to tonight press in, press on. Reminding us tonight, Lord, that you are the God, Jesus, who cares. And you are the God who feels our touch, hears our cry, comes to our home, and raises us to newness of life. And so, Lord God, as we conclude this evening with with worship, speak to our hearts regarding reaching to you and waiting upon you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.